Hey, I'm Alex. Hey, I'm Parv. And this is China Product. We are two Silicon Valley product managers, and we know how messy it can be. So we're here to talk about the ups and downs of being a PM. It's not always straightforward, but we're here to figure it out together. So this week on China Product, we're going to talk about some of our interview experiences and some of the things that we've observed as product managers going through interviews and actually doing interviews ourselves. So Parv, what have been some of your interview experiences as a PM? Hey Alex, when I think about PM interviews, I feel I've gone through so many varieties of PM interviews. I've had ones which were very, very unstructured depending on my resume and depending on some of my previous qualifications. And then I've also had interviews which have been very structured in nature where I have a specific set of questions and go through each one of them, making sure that I take all the boxes. And I feel like I've gone through both of those types of interviews. And I can talk about my experiences as well, but I want to know, have you faced the same thing as well of like both or have you seen one more than the other? Oh, yeah. I think some companies clearly know how to interview for product managers and some don't really quite get it as much. When I think about my experience, I think I've had things I've enjoyed the most have been the ones which were slightly unstructured, just because I think it was easier, not easier, but it was better for me to actually like bring out a bit more in terms of like how I've handled problems in the past or how I've handled situations in the past as a PM. And I think sometimes that ends up being useful in terms of sharing with the hiring team, because instead of just trying to answer a very specific question, which you could prepare for. I think these type of interviews have been more of a good conversation and actually digging deeper into my PM style, my PM skill sets, and both technical and soft skills. I always prefer the unstructured. I think it feels that's like you're kind of almost on an assembly line, so to speak. Like essentially, like if you imagine a lot of these bigger companies, they're essentially just kind of asking the same questions to the same people or to the hundred people and then kind of sending them on their way. Whereas like unstructured is just, it's just like, yeah, like you said, it's just a conversation. It feels like a lot lower pressure. It's, you get to learn a lot more about the company itself, about what they're kind of thinking about and how they're thinking about products and their future roadmap. So yeah, I feel like I get a lot more out of it as opposed to just kind of just like me spending three hours and not really getting anything back. It's something like, yeah, I spent three hours. I had a good conversation and was able to learn something, even if it doesn't go forward. It doesn't feel like a total waste as much. Yeah, no, that's actually a great point. I feel like those type of interviews that I've done have been both like me sharing my ideas and my thoughts, but then also learning from the respective people on the other side of how they handle that kind of situation and how they've been thinking about that problem. And as we have that conversation, we start thinking about how we could have approached it differently. They share some of their ideas and their thoughts on how they would have approached the situation. So I think you're right, even if it doesn't go anywhere, you come out of those conversations really learning much more than I think in a structured interview or where they have a specific set of questions. I do see the benefit of that from a hiring perspective. Also, how that kind of structured set of questions can remove some biases, can help sort of find the right candidate based on hard, concrete questions and sort of understanding if they have the base skill sets to answer them or not and actually tackle those issues. So I see the benefit there too. But yeah, I guess both of us are kind of on the unstructured side. Both as both giving that type of interview and then I think also conducting that type of interview. Oh yeah, because like it's always a give and take. When you're in structure, when you stay in those questions, when you stay within that time limit, you don't get to really learn about the candidate or the as a person interviewing. You don't really get to learn about 
the company. So it, it's definitely really nice. But yeah, I totally agree. From a hiring standpoint, it's tough. It's tough to standardize. It's tough to eliminate bias. And it doesn't really make sense for these bigger companies. How has your PM interview experience been so far? Like, do you have like a favorite interview question or like a favorite interview that you've had so far? I've definitely done my fair share of PM interviews. I think it's kind of a muscle that you have to work at. I think, as we always say, putting in those reps. So, yeah, I'd say like I've done a lot of interviews. Most of them have been the unstructured variety, just because I mostly was working in and applying to startups. So startups don't typically have structured interviews or really even know how to ask a PM the right questions. In terms of like the questions that I like the best, it's mostly I really like when the company will talk about something that's not specific to them. So I think a lot of companies always try to ask you their problems that they've been thinking about and they've been struggling with and they're trying to seek an answer. I always like when the company will go beyond, think about what this industry might be in 10 years and how that industry would react in 10 years. So I think one of my favorite questions was like autonomous car company I was interviewing at. And they asked how I would think about breaking into and creating a flying car company. So this is like maybe their company in 10 years, but it's like such a pie in the sky thing that there's no like limitations, which is really nice. Like when you have something in the short term, I think there's a lot of limitations you artificially put on yourself. But when it's something that's so in the future, I love like just kind of the unconstrained brainstorming that can happen. And that's such a good question though, also, right? Because it gives the candidate an opportunity to go wild. But then as a PM, you're almost always in that situation where you can go wild and it's an ambiguous situation and undefined problem, but you have to like take that and then try and find more doable solution or something that you can actually tackle and create deliverable steps within that bigger picture or that bigger problem. And I think so with this type of interview question, A, you can give the candidate the chance to go crazy, think about more stuff, but then you're also trying to assess the skills of how does he take that big problem and break it down into more achievable steps and how can he actually create a strategy that gets them slowly moving towards that direction. It's a great way to assess the candidate while also, yeah, exactly. Like seeing how letting they them think have about fun. Yeah, letting them have fun, letting them think about things in an unconstrained manner. Like you said, SPMs, we really can do just about anything. If you want to make a flying car or a company, you probably could today. But we put so much baggage on ourselves from all of our assumptions that we often don't take the time to kind of peel these away. But when you go so far in the future, when you do something so crazy, there are no assumptions because you don't know anything. Yeah. What's your favorite? Oh, me? I have two questions that I always think about when I go back to my PM experience. And it's weird. They aren't really PM questions, like the traditional product management questions. But I don't know, like for me, they all led to good conversations in me getting to know the team and the people on the other side. One of them was, this was, I think, from my, during my internship, when I was trying to apply for a PM position as an intern, I actually got asked the question of, it was around my resume, and it was not the content of my resume, but it was the design of my resume. I was asked, um, like, how did I come up with the structure and design for my resume? Did you have like a uniquely designed resume, or was it just like a word template? It wasn't a word template. I was in school and I was trying to apply and I wanted to stand out. So I'd put some, a little bit of flair in the resume, like a little bit of color, a little bit of structure. It wasn't a traditional word document that you might see. It had like a grid structure. It was a two column resume. So, and it had a little bit of color and a little bit of different sort of elements to it. And my hiring manager at that time was like, okay, I saw your resume and I just wanted to ask you like, why did you design it like this? And what was your intent behind the design? And like, 
we started talking about the resume f- from a visual perspective. And I think that just led to such a good conversation around like design and usability, which was just such a good conversation to have on an interview. And still you can assess and judge so much about how someone thinks about a product. That resume was a product of mine. And the question was like, why did I design that product in that way? I love that question. And I really had a fun time answering that one. Wow. Yeah, I never really thought about it. But yeah, the resume and how people read it, how people scan it, especially because I think that puts this out, it's like seven seconds per resume. So you really have to make an impact quickly. So that's a great kind of question and deeper way to learn about somebody. Yeah. The other question that stands out, which I was got asked recently was, as a PM, how do I get into flow? Which is such a fascinating question because as a PM, you're always context switching and you're always going from like maybe one meeting to another, trying to like go from one project to another, one space from another, like moving from engineering to design, then moving back to like the legal side of stuff, moving to the marketing piece. And you're going between so many different spaces throughout your day. And it was such a good question. Like with all of that happening, how do you find yourself in a flow state? as a PM. And I was just like taken aback. I'm like, huh, that's such a interesting question. I've never thought about how I get into flow as a PM. But when I thought about it, I do have my ways of trying to achieve that flow state. And and it's even harder as a PM to achieve that flow state. And I think that's why there's that slight brilliance to this question <laughs> is that can this candidate go with all the different, like juggle all the different things that are happening, but then also be able to get into a mode where he needs to or they need to deliver on a certain thing. Yeah, I actually was asked like a similar question, but instead of how to get in the flow is what puts you into the flow state, which is kind of a, like one is, yeah, yeah. well, I guess like one is focusing on like, are you able to discipline yourself in order to focus and get the work done? And another is like, what do you like doing? But it's interesting. I wonder if like they were reading the same product interview blog post or something. It's such a good question. And again, these are all parts of unstructured interviews that don't necessarily get asked within a bigger company's set of interview questions. And they come up more in like these organizations or companies that are following their own sort of trends in terms of hiring a PM. They have an understanding of who they want or what type of PM they're looking for. And they really cater and sort of create those questions or that interview sessions around that, trying to understand and get the right candidate. So yeah, I mean, these were like super fun questions and like I still think about them now and then. Yeah, I think that's the nice part about some of these interviews is people ask profound questions that you come back to. You think about, I still think about like flying cars. And I was like, oh, like, you know, that industry, every year we get a little bit closer to that being a reality. So I remember another question. I think it was, I'm trying to think, it was like my first interview, PM interview. I think that was a couple of years ago. And I was asked, um, what's your favorite product? And I had, spend time talking about a fitness app and at that time now that I think about it I feel like fitness wasn't such a big thing and I felt like all the answers that I was giving and the way I was thinking about that problem didn't really resonate with the interviewer because didn't really think of fitness as such a big thing or a problem worth solving at that time and I look back to that interview and that question and I think about it right now and I'm like well isn't that like one of the biggest things that you're trying to solve right now yeah it's like the biggest driver for so many of these big companies' products these days. That's you're right in the end. Yeah, but I didn't get the job though. So Well, they were wrong. It's not that you weren't <laughs> right, it's that they weren't right for you. Yeah, I wasn't right for them. That's always what you tell yourself. But I mean, what do you think about 
just interviews in general, when we think about structured versus unstructured, I feel like as someone who is preparing for a PM interview, there's so many different things that you can focus on or so many different aspects of the PM interview process that you need to sort of brush up on and prepare for. And I think it would be nice to just talk about what those different type of questions are, type of interviews are, and hopefully give a sense of like, what are some of the different things that we should be focusing on when we're preparing for our interviews? I know we used to talk about this a lot when we were preparing for our interviews, just looking at the different type of questions, the different type of structures that we see out there and making sure that we're preparing well. It is a muscle and sometimes preparation is key. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, there's so many questions out there. And I think also when you have, especially bigger companies with their structured interviews, they'll typically give you a very clear understanding of what those steps are, what the questions that they're asking are. They essentially give you the whole test and just hope that you study and that you can pass it because they want you to pass. So it's just kind of nice. I think the unstructured is more fun, but also like what I experience with a lot of startups is that you don't just do like three interviews. Like a structured interview is like these bigger companies will do maybe like six. Like they'll do six interviews and then they'll make a decision. But these unstructured ones are essentially startups. It could be, I think I did 13 interviews at one startup because they don't have a structure. They don't really know what they're doing. They have the initial thing where they have the screener with like maybe the hiring manager. Hiring manager likes you, they go to the next person. Next person likes you. Okay, great. Now they do a super day with their whole team, design, engineering, everybody. Everyone likes you. Great. Now you talk to the VP. But nobody really had any question, like meaningful question. Like, what's the engineer going to ask you? They're not really vetting you. They're kind of more doing cultural fit. So I think these kind of behavioral questions that are a little bit more wishy-washy that a lot of startups end up doing with the unstructured side, like there's kind of the pros and cons of those unstructured behavioral questions where the person just like doesn't really know what to ask you, doesn't really think they're part of this interview process, but is part of it just because they're part of the team and they should they have a say in the hiring, not that they really necessarily want to be part of that hiring process. So I think that's a little bit of a kind of a downside to the structured side and especially from the candidate side of how many hours are invested in this process before you hear a rejection. Yeah, I can see that. But I do also think that the unstructured interviews do have a component in them that's a little bit more scarier than structured interviews because as you said, there's not necessarily a know-how of like what questions are going to are going to get asked. When it's an unstructured interview, it could be very, very different from your previous interview. Each round could be very different from the previous round. And sometimes it ends up being, as you said, because of the nature of the interview or the interviewer might not want to be there at the right time. It's just like, it's not working out. But I do think like with startups and with these type of organizations, which are following a more unstructured interview, they really know what they're looking for. And I think they always want to base their questions based on how the conversation is going, trying to make sure that they can get a sense of the candidate and try and see if they have the skills that they really need. I think that kind of changes the direction of the interview certain times. It changes how the rounds go, who you're talking to, how you're talking to them. And all of that kind of happens based on some of those things that they're trying to fill. And so that uncertainty and that sort of like unknowns does make it a bit more scary or a bit tougher sometimes because you don't know exactly what to prepare for. And they really, really focus on, I think, your experience, right? Like what you've done as a PM before. And I think that's where I feel that it's a very strong thing in these unstructured interviews where, you know what, okay, you can answer a question 
that you might have prepared for. But like, let's look at a real life example where you might have done something as a PM. How did you do that? Or like, how did you actually use your skills or your ability as a PM to actually get something off the ground? Or did you actually solve an issue? Like, so sometimes those kind of like, even though they seem wishy-washy sometimes, I feel there is a sort of lower intention behind those questions that's really trying to get to who we are as a PM and what our sort of work style is and what our way of solving those problems are. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think you're able to go so much deeper and really assess, especially when you have the right person. I think when you have people who are bought into the process, who are bought into really making sure that this is an effective interview for both, it turns out to be a good conversation and something that often stretches you and kind of makes you look at your past experience in ways that you may not have looked at it the same in the previously. But coming back to structured interviews, I think that's it's not going away. It's still a big thing. We see a lot of big organizations follow very, I wouldn't say typical questions across all of them, but there is a set of questions that we see that come up often if you're searching online or if you're like looking at past interviews. There are a certain type of questions that are common across these organizations. And I think it'd be nice to sort of talk about some of those type of questions that we've seen come up in these structured interviews. When I think about some of those, I think the first one that comes to mind, and I think we talked about this one as well a while back, is the product design question, right? Which is, how would you design XYZ? I think that's a very, very common question that gets asked a lot in structured interviews and sometimes also shows up in unstructured interviews as well, because it's a really meaty question in terms of thinking about how does one look at their domain and sort of try and build something from scratch? Yeah, I guess it's a great question to assess a raw PM and how they approach problems. I think the kind of funny thing about these structure, like these specific kind of structured interviews is that they have specific frameworks you're supposed to use. And they actually, in the packets, will often give you the framework they expect you to use. So product design, I think I made my own, but I think there's, there's like circles, I think is the main one, but I can never remember yeah, what the acronym stands for. very famous one. Uh, yeah. It's a good one, yeah. But they have these frameworks that they kind of expect you to follow and they're looking for how you fit your knowledge into the frameworks. So it feels essentially like kind of preparing for structured interviews feels like kind of studying for a test. But I guess it sounds like I'm a little bit cynical, but I think my experience with these is that it was an incredibly helpful experience as a PM to structure your thoughts in these ways so that when you approach future problems, you're using a framework. So you don't necessarily have to use the framework that they use. I ended up kind of making my own, but that's the framework I use today when I approach these same questions. Because as a PM, you're still like, yes, how would you design XYZ? That's something you do every single day in your job. So, I mean, yeah, I tend to be a little bit negative towards structured interviews, but I felt like preparing for these bigger companies was foundational to me as a PM today and how I understand metrics, how I understand how to design, how I understand like keeping the user first. I mean, we always say that. I think there's a lot of lip service, but when you have this framework that literally says, what's my goal? Who's going to use this? What are the problems that that user has? Then it becomes kind of ingrained, especially after you do so many of these structured interviews over time. Yeah, that's a great point. I completely agree. I think the way we think about those frameworks, they become so part of our thinking that what happens in real life is it's that same question. You're actually dealing with how would you design. The only difference in real life is that the constraints are different. Like you'll have to think about resourcing trade-offs. You'll have to think about, let's say, budget. You'll have to think about timelines and dependencies. But the core question is always still how would you design? So having those frameworks in mind, actually, you're really right there is that those frameworks just help give someone that starting point. And then you start applying those constraints to see what can actually happen. Yeah, exactly. 
So I think there's product design, that's a big one. But what do you think on the execution side? Some of these other typical questions that we see. Yeah, I think execution is also a big one that I've seen. I've been asked product execution questions, I think both instructed and unstructured sometimes, mostly unstructured ones. But yeah, I think a big one there is a hypothetical scenario about you want to deliver a product. How do you talk about trade-offs or how would you trade off X versus Y? I think that's a very typical question that gets asked in terms of product execution. Another one is around debugging. I know you mentioned that debugging was something that you had been asked before as well. Would love to know how that was. Oh, yeah. Debugging is a, there's, of course, there's a framework for debugging, but it's actually something I like, just used like last week because essentially like, there's a problem. Like some metric is not lining up with what it should be. And then so you have to figure out where's the problem. So is it the client side or is it on your side? So if it's the client side, is it a technology problem? Is it a language? Like Then you go through this whole framework. But it actually turns out to be pretty relevant when you're trying to, to figure out problems because it just has, a, again, like you memorize the framework. It becomes ingrained after dozens of interviews using that framework and reciting it, prepping and all the mock interviews. But it ends up being something that is genuinely really useful when you come across these kind of quirky things in the data and you have to figure out where that issue is coming from. Yeah, that's true. There is such an art to debugging, uh, I feel like. And as a PM, it's a very common thing where you'll wake up one day and something's not working right. And you're like, okay, hey team, let's find out why this is happening. How do we get to the bottom of it? I do think it's a very, again, such a critical skill that in real life, of course, you're trying to solve this again with another layer of constraints. And so as we think about these interview questions, I'm trying to draw that parallel between that unstructured piece and structured piece where in an unstructured interview, you're essentially getting asked the same question, but with the caveat of how you've done it in real life with the constraints. Whereas in the structured interview, you've kind of taken away those constraints and it's a hypothetical scenario where you get to apply those frameworks. So it's, I feel like both of them are attacking sometimes the same root thinking, just with like a different way of approaching it. Yeah, I never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. Like I've 100% been asked like how we solved an issue. And I don't think at that point I knew about the debugging frameworks, but in retrospect, yeah, I've totally been asked a lot of these questions. I just didn't have the framework to frame the answer of how we approached the problem back then. But I guess in terms of metrics, I guess what have been some of the questions you've been asked around metrics and kind of how did you approach those? When I think about metrics, the questions that I've been usually asked are very specific to thinking about a feature or a product and sort of coming up with the right KPIs that you would want to measure, the right sort of testing frameworks for ensuring that you're measuring the right metrics and like figuring out which variant is better than the other kind of looking at, I'm trying to think, there was one question that I remember, which was very specific to, I was given a product, like a hypothetical product, and I was told that we are going to be solving, like we want to solve for the metric of engagement. But how do we ensure that as we push the engagement metric for one feature, it doesn't impact the metrics for another sister feature in that same product? And I think that was a really good question around, not just generally, understanding what are the higher level objectives of that product or what are the higher level metrics that you have to solve with that main product versus trading it off against smaller metrics associated with each single feature. So that was one question that I remember, which I actually really had a fun time chatting with my interviewer about. And this was part of a structured interview, if I remember correctly. I think as PMs, we're always using all this data, we're always using the analytics, but I think 
it wasn't until I started studying for these structured interviews that I start, had a better appreciation of how metrics kind of are very squishy, a lot of them, and how they impact each other, like you said in that, in that example. So it definitely helped me a lot in just kind of getting a better appreciation for how kind of nuanced some metrics are and how to go a level deeper to get exactly the answer you're looking for. Yeah. And I think like in the same line, if you think about like design and execution and like metrics and debugging, I think another question that sometimes comes up here and there is estimation. I know that's like always a scary one. I'm personally afraid of estimation questions because I feel like I'm horrible at math. And I feel like if I'm in front of an interviewer and I'm asked an estimation question, I'm going to be like blank. And it's funny because I've been asked estimation questions quite a lot. And I think in the end, they seem to go well, but I just internally feel that I suck at those. But I know those also come up, I wouldn't say all the times, but 50-50. I think that the question I was asked was, how much tip does a doorman make who's serving the front door at a hotel in Vegas? Classic estimation question. That Which was is one. like sufficiently vague. Yeah. And then the other one I remember was it was an e-commerce company. And they asked me like, how much does this organization donate in charity each year? Which was like, that was the most vague starting statement for me. But of course, the big thing about estimation questions is that you have to ask questions to drill down. And so I remember that one as well. And I don't think that one went well. <laughs> yeah, I had one where I had to estimate like how much... Like if you were making a new city, how much water would that new city? Yeah. Estimation questions, I think, are a little bit of a crapshoot, though. Because like, yes, you have to drill down, but like you're expected to have base information, like population sizes. I think mine, I had, I needed to know cost of a gigabyte for to, uh, on like a, for a server. And I was like, that's, I mean, I ended up like dividing the cost of like a terabyte hard drive and then just cutting it in half. But like some of these things, you, you have to be very lucky, I think. Like how much does a doorman get tipped? Like you need a baseline kind of ballpark, which like sometimes kind of, I think, screens people out, right? If you're from like, I don't know, a country that doesn't do tips at all, you have no background in tips, then how would you have any way to guesstimate that? I remember answering my question and then thinking back, I was like, oh boy, I think I completely missed the answer. But I think, you know, the good thing about estimation questions is that sometimes it's not the actual value that they're judging you on or they're trying to evaluate. It's more about your thinking process of how you're like looking at assumptions, asking the right questions, coming up with the right parameters to sort of like bring together as you estimate an answer. I think that's an important thing to highlight is that almost all of these are looking at your process, not the end result. You could have like the craziest product idea ever, but as long as you have the right process, that's all they're looking at. So yeah, I think it's a very important thing to call out because estimation questions, yes, they're intimidating, but even if you got like a few orders of magnitude off, it shouldn't matter as long as your process was clear. Yeah. And I'm there to attest to that. I think, yeah, I was off by, I don't know, like 10 to the power of four or something. <laughs> and I was like, that. And I remember the interviewer asking like, so this is the value that you said. Do you really think that's how much it's going to be? And I was like, yeah, I got checked. And they're like, what do you think? I'm like, yeah, you're right. Probably I'm off by a lot. <laughs> But I actually got the feedback that he was really impressed with the variables that I thought about and the process that I'd shown. So it ended up going well. But yeah, and I think like, so when we talk about structured interviews, we talked about those product design questions, we talked about specific execution questions, and then we had like the estimation. But I think when we take away these three sort of formulaic structured pieces to these interviews, I think we're still left with two categories of questions that are still always part of a structured interview. One, I think it's 
always asked, which is like your favorite product. I don't think I've ever been in an interview where I have not been asked this question. Yeah, this is always a tough question. I guess it depends on how they're asking. I had one interview where they essentially were basing the entire interview off of my answer to that question. So I ended up saying backpack and then they're like, nope, because I use my backpack a lot. I spent a lot of time looking for the best backpack in the world. I found it. And I told them that and they were like, no, no, no. We Which need one like is a- it? I'm a huge backpack fan and I love spending money on backpacks. So what's the Osprey Radial 26? I was like talking to manufacturers in Vietnam to make my own custom backpack because I like was that desperate for a good backpack. And then I ended up finding this one and it's perfect. I've had it for like four years. But that was like my answer. And the guy like, liked my... I mean, he was interested, but he's like, I need you to answer like a software question. <laughs> okay, I need a software app for this. So I don't know. What's your experience with that question? Yeah, I mean, I've had my fair share of interviews where I've come up with a product that I've shared, which the person on the other side has heard of and has used. And I think when that happens, when there's that common knowledge for the product, I feel like it's an easier answer to give then. But when, when the other person is completely in the unknown of what product you're talking about and like what's the problem it's solving, then it's really hard to bring them into your story. And I think it's hard to like make them think of the problem and empathize with that user base and then show them how this product is actually solving that problem really well. So I think it depends on like that product and if the other person has used it or not or knows about it or not. Yeah, I think that's a big point because I think sometimes like I answer like an esoteric app and the person's like, okay. And then I think for me, it was like a smart, it was like a news app. And then they're like, okay, it's a news app. What's so great about it? I'm like, oh, this, but yeah, it kind of falls flat. So It's a nuanced question. There's like different ways of answering this one. But I think my go-to is now like, think of a product that's a little bit famous or at least the other person would know about and then figure out like why it's a good product and why it's your favorite product. Yeah, but not too famous. And don't say Mac. Not too famous, yeah. Or iPhone. <laughs> yeah, not too famous. Yeah, not too famous. It's very important because then you just look... I I guess generic, especially if you're a product person, you're supposed to have a more nuanced kind of understanding of what a good product is and who makes good products besides like the big companies. Yeah. And then I think the next one, which is always part of any interview set along with the others is the behavioral ones. When you talk about collaboration, conflict resolution, I think those in a structured interview are the closest that you can get to unstructured. But again, there's still always a specific set of questions sometimes like, how would you resolve a conflict with the engineering team? How would you resolve a conflict with the design? Like, has there been a situation where you had to do that? And I think like that's also a big part of these interview questions that comes up a lot is that behavioral side of being a PM. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think this is also like a place where preparation is important, but also can kind of hurt you. I don't know. Have you had any experiences where are you prepared or overprepared or almost scripted like any of these questions? Yeah, I actually got the feedback. for one of my interviews where I was told that it seemed that I had made up because I had practiced it so much like I knew it was going to be asked and it was such a good situation that I really wanted to be sure that I could get the story across and so I practiced it and when you practice it it sometimes does come off as scripted and I remember the interviewer just being like oh that sounds like you might have added a few elements I'm like I know it sounded scripted. It's a big thing that happened for me as a PM and it's come up a lot. So I've talked about it a lot. And yeah, you do want to be a little bit cautious of sounding completely scripted. And we all know this like, this question is going to be asked because it's asked on just about every interview. 
And the thing is that sometimes, like, because you kind of have to have like a nice kind of wrap everything up with a bow, which is not really real life. I think I had one interviewer or a couple of interviewers who like they took the same story I always use. They asked a question that went a step further. Like, did this really happen? Like, what, how did the like engineer whose idea wasn't implemented actually feel? And I'm like, I just told you. And they're like, I don't believe it. And it's like, well, you're right, because that's not how it worked. This is real life. The guy was pissed, but I'm not going to tell you that. No, but now when I look back, when I think about those questions, the ones that have gone the best and not from an interview perspective, but from an actual conversation perspective have been the ones where it's been like, yeah, it didn't work out. Like I tried my best. We used methodologies of conflict resolution, negotiation and like collaboration. We tried to get to a point where it was working for everyone, but you know, it didn't. And I think that sometimes being able to say and admit that as a PM actually ends up being a very strong quality as a product manager. Yeah. Absolutely. I think being able to like demonstrate you knew what the right thing was or like it doesn't necessarily work is 100%. I think in the interview, I definitely didn't do that, but I was also like a few years ago and I was a little bit more junior. So we've all been there. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, we also panic and there's always nerves <laughs> in these interviews, especially after 13 hours invested or however many. Yeah. But I think if you wrap up the structured pieces, I do still think when you, we've talked about so many different elements of this, there's always like those few things that are still happening in the wild with PM interviews that you hear about often enough, but they aren't necessarily part of these structures. And I think one of them is a panel presentation. I've seen that happen more and more often. Have you experienced that as well? Or any others like similar to a panel presentation? Yeah, I think like there's always like, I found this more of the startups is they'll, they'll give you some type of take-home assignment, like uh, create this strategy deck and then present it to like a panel of different folks in their office. So. Yeah, I definitely had those. They're a huge time suck. Like, I feel like I spend like 20 hours on the take home on, the, on making the deck and then you present it to the all the folks and you have this you sometimes have a good conversation. But often, at least in my experience, they've always tried to have me answer a question that they're trying to answer, which I think is really tough because they've spent lots of like this is a kind of a big pet peeve of mine is when interviewers ask questions that they're trying to answer and hope that you magically answer it without having any context. So oftentimes that's what I find the take-homes are. They're around specific problems that the company is facing. And then they're looking for you to present that, even though they've already thought about a thousand ways to someday to solve that same problem. So it's something that's kind of a red flag to me. And I actually just, I haven't taken those in a couple of years at this point. But what about you? Have you had experience with take-homes or any other types of things that you've seen in the interview process? I've had take-home assignments as part of my internship hunt. I had quite a few in recent times. I've not had take-home assignments, but I feel I've had a panel presentation in each one of the interviews that I've done after graduating, except for like some of the bigger organizations where it's a bit more structured, as we talked about. Outside of that, each time I've had to like do a panel presentation and it's been both like I've had the prompt beforehand or I'm given the prompt then and there, and then I get 30 minutes to prepare a complete presentation and present oh, it to a panel. I've never seen that one. I think that one's a little better. Like, I mean, it's probably more stressful, but at least you're, you're time-capped. Oh, it, was, it was really stressful. I remember like when I presented, when I was given the prompt in person and I had 30 minutes, <laughs> I was putting my deck together, and you could clearly see how the aesthetics of the slides just kind of slowly stopped slowly degrading across like the first slide was beautiful second slide a little less and by the time i reached the last one is just pure text because i just didn't have time yeah well maybe a little cruel but also i don't know if that's better than 
letting you waste 20 hours on something that might not go forward. But yeah, I mean, but I think panel presentation and take-home assignments are becoming way more common in a PM interview. And I think that's something that we should definitely have on our radars when we're preparing for PM interviews. Yeah, I have like a hard policy against them at this point, just because, oh man, I've had so many bad experiences with those. But I think especially at the beginning of your career, like beggars can't be choosers, I think was my initial policy. And I definitely did a lot of these. Do you have any personal tips on preparation? Like anything that that's your go-to or something that you do when you're thinking about preparing? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think, spent a lot of time doing the whole interview prep game. I think my go-to was watching a lot of mock interviews. And then actually, so when I was doing this a couple of years back, is I actually hired a PM coach to do mock interviews with me. So that way I was able to put in like three hours of interviews a week without actually doing interviews. So essentially like three hours of mock interviews with a coach and then able to like, I don't know, they had a lot of really good feedback. So I was able to level up and accelerate my learning. So something that would have taken me maybe like three or four company interviews, I could do just in a few weeks. So that was kind of my little hack. I think he was like maybe $100 an hour. $300 a week might sound like a lot, but I guess what is the opportunity cost of every week that you don't have a job that will take some of these more structured PM interviews and help you level up into the higher paying PM ladders? So that was kind of my justification. I was cheap and I just asked my friends to take my mock interviews. Yeah, I think... I didn't really know any PMs back then. I was like the only PM in the startup, so. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it wasn't until later in my career. Like now, I know so many PMs. I feel like most of my friends are PMs. But back then, it was just kind of mostly designers. I think, but yeah, like friends are a great way. Friends, I think listening to YouTube interviews, especially for the big companies. I actually had the same. The questions that I saw on YouTube on the mock interviews were, I think I had three out of four were identical in my actual interview. So I think those were super helpful. So they definitely like reuse a lot of their same questions. And a lot of those questions are on YouTube and online. So just practicing these online you resources. You also got was, lucky. Oh, yeah, I got insanely lucky. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like looking back on like my interviews, I'm just like, yep, I know what that product was. Oh, the estimation. Yeah, I literally listened to this estimation like this morning before when I was preparing. So yeah, I definitely got really lucky. But I think I've heard the same stories from a lot of folks. So I think it's pretty well known that a lot of these bigger companies are using a, a core set of questions and you can find those questions online. Like I had a software engineer friend. He did like the first three questions on like whatever the code testing or code learning like test prep. And like the first three questions were the three questions he had in his interview. It's definitely something that happens fairly often, but the more you prepare, the more likely you're going to have certain, seen one of these questions that they're likely to ask for these big companies. How did you prepare for yours? For me, I think the biggest thing that I do a lot when I'm preparing is like write stuff down. I think the most I prepare for like wherever I'm looking at like how you design or if it's like thinking about like past experiences and everything, I just put everything on paper. I come up with the framework that I want to use. I come up with the flow that I want to use. Not that I would write the exact like answers, but I really, really would like look at every different combination of question that's possible. And then like, put in the reps to like, okay, think about the problem, put the framework on paper and see if it's actually solving it. I remember for like one of my previous interviews, I went online and I looked at like different type of product design questions, which included like, how would you design? How would you improve? Like metrics gone haywire, like all of those things. And I would just like open up a notebook and jot down like the main points that I would have for all those answers. And I would just like look through them again and again, just like prepare and think about it, like improve. But yeah, that was something that I did quite a lot I did not have the luxury to get a coach. 
unlike someone on this podcast, but <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of that, like sort of writing down and putting my thoughts on paper and then just like looking back to it again and again. Didn't you like uh, recording yourself? That's such a good point. I haven't, but I feel like that's actually useful. I can see that being useful. I don't know why I haven't tried it. Maybe I just feel like I don't want to listen to myself because my I hate hearing myself. So maybe that's why, but I can see that being really useful. That was one of the things that I did to prepare, but exactly like you're saying, like, I just couldn't bring myself to like listen to myself talk through the questions. But yeah, I think, I mean, if you're okay with listening to your own voice and you can go through that agony, 100%, then yeah. that's a pretty effective way. But really, it just, it's like putting in these reps. I, I mean, I probably spent like over 100 hours just on like these structured interview questions and just doing it again and again. And like we always say, it's just like putting in the reps and also I think having some throwaway interviews. Like there's always that company that you really want to work for. And if that's your objective, don't just apply there. Apply to a bunch of smaller companies to put in your interview reps. And when you get an offer to one of the smaller companies, then you're ready for the actual, like the objective company is kind of my recommendation. Yeah, that makes sense. Like it's the reps. We always come back to that again and again, whether it's being a PM or whether it's actually preparing for an interview, it's the reps, like just putting in that hard work. I think all the PMs that you see who are in these big companies and big positions, they all went through this kind of meat grinder of a process to like figure out how to answer these questions properly and to kind of show the right face to the interviewer. So, yeah. What do you think were some of your worst interview mistakes? Ooh, I think one that I brought up earlier was like sounding overscripted, which was even more painful as a mistake because it was the real story. And I don't know if that's a mistake or it was just like I prepared too much and it sounded scripted, but I don't know. I can think about it as a mistake. Maybe not. Maybe it's just not the right story and for that time. But maybe that one. The second, I think, was not actually picking. It goes back to the question of your favorite product, like not picking a product that I actually liked and was passionate about, but trying to pick a product that I thought my interviews would like and talk about that. I think that was a very big mistake because I did that in like a few interviews and the questions that they would ask after or like build off of that favorite product. Like I just, it wasn't a space that I enjoyed that much. I was just trying to do like fan service and hoping like it's a product that they would like and they would enjoy. And so I brought it up as a favorite product, but it wasn't something that I was really passionate about. So when we came down to like the set of questions that were built on top of that, I wasn't able to do such a good job of it from a product perspective. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think a lot of times that question is often to lead towards additional questions. If you don't know the product you're talking about, <laughs> you're kind of out exactly. of luck. You, yeah, you should effing use the product that you're going to talk about. Like if you're going to talk about your favorite product, you better make sure that it's your favorite product. <laughs> yeah, because I think often like the next question is how would you improve that product? And if you don't know their product, that's a very hard question to answer. Yep. How about you? Like, do you have like a worst interview mistake? Oh, I mean, the one that I mentioned earlier where the guy is like, I don't believe that that happened. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, there's been a couple of times where the interviewer. So like, often, like like we talked about, we have like these scripted answers. I've only had two interviewers who asked a question, like one more question. Like they went one level deeper beyond the facade. And that's when things kind of crack. That happened to me twice. And I think ever since then, I just stopped kind of embellishing or making a nice story and only like just kind of ended up telling the truth like we talked about earlier but it's just like such an awkward thing because like the interview was basically over as soon as i made that mistake like where i couldn't adequately answer the question i was like well yeah it's like after eight interviews like 
eight hours of like just interviewing and like preparing and then like everything else. And now I'm like, well, <laughs> GG. <laughs> so I think that's a bad feeling. Yeah, it's funny how both our mistakes, like the one that we think about and look back at, aren't really in the typical structured questions like design or execution, but more around like the behavioral aspect or like the unstructured questions around like your favorite product. We, which is I'm like it's just something that just I noticed and I'm wondering like why that is. It's funny, right? When you think about the mistakes you're making, you're making in the ones where which are more based on experience, based on your actual the way you think and not necessarily something that you could prepare for through like answering and like reading, etc. Yeah. I think the structured ones, like we have that structure to fall back on, but when you just kind of talking and you try to make an unstructured thing a structured thing, like a structured answer, and that's where things kind of go awry. I think my biggest takeaway from those two mistakes is not is always to allow for a question to go deeper because it's grounded in truth. And what like and every I think what I found is the good interviewers, like really truly like VP level folks who are interviewing you, as you get further in the funnel, they're the ones who are gonna are, they're the ones who are asking this question. They're always going a level deeper. So And that's how you're a great PM. Like that's also something about being a great PM is that you go that one level deeper. You ask that one question that no one else has asked in the room. Like that's a sign of a good PM and like that's a sign of a great interviewer as well. Yeah, exactly. And so you can't BS these folks. So if you're just lying, if you're just like making like a story, by the time you get to that level, you would have, if you do the same thing, you would have wasted all of your time getting there. A hundred percent. It's so true. Oh man, this was a fun one. <laughs> Going back to all those different interviews. All the trauma. Oh, yeah. Hundreds of interviews over the years. Oh man. But, uh, it was a fun one, but yeah. I'll see you on the next one. Sounds good. Thanks so much. See ya.